Good morning, everyone. My name is John. I don't know whose phone this is. I don't know if they need that. Oh, should I make a couple of calls? Um, I'll go ahead and set it over here for you. Um, my name is John. I'm one of the um, pastors, non-staff pastors here at Soma Downtown, and excited to be able to, um, to be with you all this morning up here. And before we get rolling into uh, today's message um, coming from the text that we just read, I just wanted to take a minute to, uh, to honor and thank uh, those veterans. Uh, and Friday was Veterans Day, um, and so I know that we have a few that in our congregation that are either in active service, uh, military service, or through uh, or prior service. Um, so if you, I don't know if any of them are here. I know CeCe's over down at basic training right now. If you are uh, or were a member of the active, mil- uh, active service or reserves, would you go ahead and stand up, anybody? I know that Zach, I don't know, I don't see him. I know he is as well. And CeCe, oh, thank, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I, we, we greatly appreciate our, uh, those in our body that are serving in our military, not only for their service to our country, but also to the church as, as missionaries, as Christ followers that are sent out to serve and uh, minister to those servicemen and women on behalf as ambassadors of Christ as well. Um, so we're going to be uh, continuing on in our, um, into it, into our, our series of Imago Day, and today we're going to be talking about a royal priesthood. And uh, so it's a lot, uh, I don't know about a lot, but it's much different than maybe some of the last couple of weeks that we've been uh, working through, and um, one of the main differences is that we're going to be talking today is what it means uh, as Christ followers to be that royal priesthood. And so in order to do that, we're going to uh, take a, uh, a walk through a few things before we get there, is that we're going to first take a look at uh, the history of the priesthood, starting back from Eden, working through quickly through the Old Testament, then getting to uh, Christ's redemption of that function and role of the priesthood, then coming into what we talked about here in First Peter, what we read there, is, is what is our call? What is our identity now as image bearers of God that are now have this identity as a royal priesthood uh, given to us through Christ, but on now as our, as our role. And lastly, what does it mean to live that priesthood? One of the more challenging things to, to unpack there. Um, but to understand where we're going and what the call is for us or the opportunity um, for us is, is we have to, uh, we need to understand the history of the priesthood. Not changing slides here. Uh oh. It worked once. Oh, there it is. Sorry. Um, the history of the priesthood. Um, a couple things to understand in, um, in laying out kind of back in Eden what the. Um, sorry. But the, the three functions that we see in the Old Testament um, are the, kind of stemming back from Eden, are the role of Adam as prophet, priest, and king. And as we look at what the, uh, the role of that is, before the fall, we see that, uh, that Adam, as a prophet, uh, had true knowledge and always spoke truthfully about God. Now, those quotes are not from, or aren't from Scripture, they're from um, from Gruden's Systematic Theology book. Great read if you're looking to know more on this topic. 
but it gives us a snapshot of what the call was, what that office was, what that role was of Adam and God as prophet. As priest, he functioned as priest in that he had freely and open offer and prayer and connection with God. That there was no intermediary, no intercessor needed between Adam's ability to communicate and be with God that happened after the fall. And that as king, he had dominion over over the earth, given to him by God to rule over the garden, to serve God's creation and have dominion over it. But as we know, going through, through to the fall, we know that that was broken and that there was now a separation of those roles. So broken by the fall, we no longer are able to solely believe and speak true things. We now speak false things. We believe false things about God. As king, we no longer have complete dominion the way that we did before the fall, that harshness was entered into the world, that toil and struggle now accompanied work. As Adam continued on, And as priest, he no longer had that perfect communion to be able to approach God. He was separated. If you remember back in Genesis 3, he was cast out of the garden. And that separation begins as sin enters the world. So then we see going on into the Old Testament. uh, Let's see. Where am I at? One early. So going on into the Old Testament, we see that these roles, which, not, which once were designed to fit perfectly within one person between Adam and God, now are b- broken, and they're trying to be filled by three individual people, three individual offices that we see carried throughout the Old Testament. We see that the role of the prophet is designed to be uh, the one that is coming and um, is speaking God's word to the people. We see that the role of the king Uh, in our example of King David, ruled over the people as God's representative. And we see that the priest offered sacrifices, prayers, and praises to God on our behalf. And as we look into Exodus 40, we see the very start of that role of the priesthood as God is giving instruction on how to lay out the tabernacle. He says where to build it, where to set the Holy of Holies, where to do all these things. And in verse 15, he instructs, that, uh, instructs Aaron and his sons to be the first priests. He says that you should anoint them and consecrate them, and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. So the purpose of this now is that we now, after the fall, have a broken relationship. We no longer have direct access to God And so the role of Aaron and his sons and throughout his lineage are designed to be those that enter the Holy of Holies, that go through a purification process, they're atoning for sins, they sacrifice animals, that blood sacrifice that's required by the law so that they can enter into the Holy of Holies. And the purpose here is to not only to highlight the brokenness that we experienced after the fall, but also to foreshadow what is to come in Christ and his ability to to reconcile and redeem those roles and function. So bear with me for a minute in that um, while we, I don't want to overly um, bring a a synonym to Christ in these roles because 
Christ did all those roles, but he also was more than just a prophet. And so what I mean by that is that Christ was not merely just coming to bring the, um, the words of God, that he was God. So he was not just, he was not the same as Moses, although he brought the truth, but he was much more than that. As a king, he didn't come with a title. He didn't come with an army. He came and he said his, his kingship was more than just anything that we see on this earth, that it's more broad, that it's eternal. And as he's standing before Pilate, he acknowledges that and says, my kingship is not here on this earth. It is beyond what you can understand. And as high priest, he fulfilled that perfect blood sacrifice that we needed to pay for our sins. That he also now leads us into God's presence. He eliminated the need of the Holy of Holies. If you remember that when Christ hung on the cross, that curtain that separated the part of the tabernacle where everyone could be to the part... Oh, talking about the veil of the tabernacle. Thank you. Um, that that part of the, the, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle was designed for Aaron and his, and his lineage, that those were the only ones to be able to represent. That's where God dwelt. He dwelt in that part of the tabernacle. He, those were the only ones that are allowed to be there. That veil was now torn, and we now have direct access to God through Christ because he paid for our sins, which was required to be able to enter into that place, into, uh, into that position, um, and that proximity to God, that Christ's redemption of these offices, this is the gospel. This is what we talk about when we say that God came down in man form in Jesus. He told us and revealed to us things, the truths of God. He is king. He is part of the triune God, so his authority and dominion extends beyond what we see in this world. It extends beyond what we can understand and that he has power through with the triune God over all time and space. And that his role as a priest becoming that intermediary for us that was needed because of the fall, the decision that we made as men and women to choose what was best for us and broke that relationship with God. Now he now sits in that position because he is that blood sacrifice and he can now atone for our sins when we call on him. So that's our our brief history, we're going to jump into the text that, uh, that we started in, and we're going to jump over to, we're going to get that to that in a minute, we're going to jump into chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Um, if you haven't j- jumped there, please uh, turn in your Bibles or into, on your phones, over to Peter, 1 uh, Peter 1, or 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in the back half of the chapter as well. So it starts off the first couple of uh, verses just addressing the new believers, creating this imagery that that young believers should be craving a mother's milk, not necessarily because in that saying that what they're craving is elementary or basic in nature, but it creates this also this idea that um, that we should be craving sustenance that can only come for a baby from a mother's milk. We should have that same attitude as we're trying to crave and understand um, the goodness of the Lord. As we look into verse 4, it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, that living stone's referring to, to Jesus, the rejected uh, by men, but in the sight 
of God chosen and precious. So we see that uh, the, the analogy here is to Jesus. It continues on in 5 and 6. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood to others, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So it's important for us to continue to understand that it, it talks about the deity of Jesus and that he is, he is, the, uh, is, the, is the chief priest, but also uses this analogy of the cornerstone. And so I've got a little bit, uh, I've, got, I've got some visual aids here. Uh, I brought the, uh, what is this thing, djembe? What is this thing called? Cajon. Cajon, there we go. Thank you to our worship director for my ignorance. Uh, so this is now our cornerstone. And a couple things that you need to know about a cornerstone is that it was used in, um, in ancient um, buildings of structures. And uh, what it was designed to do, in any structure there were four cornerstones, but there was also a chief cornerstone, which was the first stone that was laid when you're building a building. And the purpose of it was to do a couple things. First, it was going to decide, orient, where geographically this new structure was going to be located. It was also going to serve as the guidepost, as the, as the, um, as, as the way to determine where this building was going to point. So we're going to set our, our cornerstone, and we're going to orient it based on which way we want. So if this is our, this is our face, where we set this stone is going to determine not only the plumbness, which we now find with our level. So to check the, if something is plumb, you want to make sure it's straight up and down, so this way, but also we need to make sure it's straight up and down this way, or if not, our building falls over and we all get crushed. So you have to make sure that this chief cornerstone is set level and square. Square also, my next visual aid, determines, this is what you would use uh, now to see if something squares. What we're deciding here is making sure that when we build this wall out that way, it is a perfect 90 degrees from this wall. Again, either that or we end up with some weird shape. It's not a true rectangle, it's not a square. We end up going out that way, we have to build the longer wall that way, and it looks like a disaster. So we have our cornerstone, incredibly important piece. It has to be of highest quality because everything orients off of this one stone. So great care was going to be taken. Uh, I think I've, I've got a picture in here. Yeah, I went and found. Here's a, you can see that it's the largest stone that's there, and everything else is going to be determined where it's placed based off of that stone. Now, when they would do different ceremonies and things like that, kind of like, it'd be similar to a, like a groundbreaking that we have now, that they would set that up um, and to, um, yeah, to kind of celebrate the, the construction of whatever they're, they're going to build. So it creates this analogy that we are being built up as a spiritual house, that Christ is the chief cornerstone, he is the first stone that's laid, and that we are now to orient ourselves as Christ followers, living into this royal priesthood based off of this stone, that in order to make sure that we're plumb and square, ah, 
you have to come off of this stone. We're going to get back to this analogy in a minute. But as we continue on, as we look in verse 7, the honor for those who believe and those who, don't, and those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So this stone, this perfect stone, the most important stone in the building, the one that God chose to be that cornerstone was rejected by man. But the call here is for us to make that the cornerstone of our lives. And it goes on in verse 9 to tell, to talk about for those that are making Christ that cornerstone, the one that was rejected, if we are choosing to be that cornerstone, we now have a new identity as we come into verse 9. That we are now a chosen race, which was verbiage that was originally only applied to Israel, is now more broadly applied to Christ followers. We now take on the identity of a royal priesthood, verbiage once applied only to the lineage of Aaron and his sons, now applies more broadly to followers of Christ. A holy nation, once applied to Israel, now is applied more broadly to followers of Christ. And an identity, a people of his own possession, talking about how the old has gone, the new has come. We now have this new identity. And the purpose, as it goes on to talk about, is to proclaim the excellencies of God, to live freely as obedient citizens of God's people, and to submit to earthly authority while not violating God's law. So we have the, the identity set, we have the call, and there's a lot you can a lot you can go with this passage. A lot of different doctrinal places you can go to. You can talk to about dispensations. You could talk about the election, all that kind of stuff, uh, the elect within here, but we're going to stick with the identity and the role uh, as it relates back to living as priest and priest, uh, living as priest in the, um, in the Imago Dei series. So what does this look like? It gives us some idea as we continue on. In verse 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's hard. I don't know about you, that's hard. especially if you're trying to navigate this without a chief cornerstone, something to which you orient your life to, something that as Christ followers, if we try to figure this out on our own as sojourners and exiles, because as great as the world that we live in is, the country that we live in is, this is also not our home. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that where you're sitting right now is not your end place. It is not where you will spend eternity. And so we, we live as sojourners, exiles in this world. And then as we go into verse 13, it talks about how people will speak ill of those that follow Christ, speak falsehoods 
to try to bring down the call and the obedience that Christ has for us. So as we travel on, we have to figure out how do we live this out? What does that look like? I think it gives a good summary in verses 16 and 17. To live as people who are free. Not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Again, that's a tough call. Especially when you look back up in verse 13, and it says, Be subject to the Lord's sake for every human institution, whether it is to the emperor as supreme, or to governors sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So it even says that as living as priests, we will experience falsehood said about us to those people that we are supposed to honor and love. Because it says honor everyone. Have you met everyone? That's a tough call, right? Just being real at this point, that is a tough call. Showing my humanity, my imperfectness, and I struggle with trying to honor everyone. Everyone? I mean, I can, look, I can honor the brotherhood. I still do it imperfectly, but honoring all of you, my brothers and sisters, both here and across our city and across our country, sure. Fearing God, I can understand that. Honor the emperor and honor everyone. That's tough. If you've been alive in the last any time, you can start to understand that this is really, really tough. That's, that's the point of what, why we did this Imago Day series, to understand what does that mean to honor everyone. And I don't need to, I don't need to rehash everything that went on over the last couple of weeks. I got to move this or else I'm going to end up on this drum set. But that call to honor everyone is tough. And so I don't want to, it takes a lot of discernment to know what does it mean to, I think you can go to the next slide there for me, to honor everyone. It takes a lot of discernment to know what that means in your marriage, to know what that means as singleness, to know what that means within gender and sexuality, to know what that means as gender in the church. All of these other topics and issues that we address. What does that mean when your kids are in school, when they're playing with neighbors? What does that mean to honor everyone? Everyone? It's a lot of people. A lot of people that are different. So I offer a couple of different, a couple of principles that go back to the call of making Christ our cornerstone. Is that to honor everyone, to love the brotherhood, to fear God, to honor the emperor. We know we are doing any of these things if we orient ourselves based on Christ, the cornerstone. Going back to this example, we take our cornerstone, and if we decide that, you know what, right here it was decided it was good and it was square, I'm just going to orient it. I'm going to move that cornerstone. So instead of our wall coming this way, our walls now go over here and over here. 
Our call is not to place that stone. That stone was placed for us. Christ was made the cornerstone. Our job is to orient to it. Our job is to figure out where does this wall go? Where are we at in line with it? Are we on this wall? Are we on this wall? How high are we up? But we orient to that. We don't reorient the cornerstone. And he's also given us tools to help. I just, you know, I brought out the, the level and the square. God's given us tools to make sure to test whether we are orienting ourselves towards his cornerstone, his chief cornerstone. So he gives us the scriptures. Be in them. He gives us the Holy Spirit in us, and he gives us brothers and sisters in Christ who also have the Holy Spirit to make sure that in any, any instance of knowing what does it mean to discern how to honor everyone, how to fear God, how to honor the emperor. These are the tools that are given to us to decide whether we are orienting towards the chief cornerstone or whether eh, we just moved the cornerstone a little bit. Now we're back, we're back to being oriented, but we moved it. That's the role. Those are the tools that he's given us to know that when we honor everyone, that we don't let compassion being a reason to abandon truth. And yet, we still honor those that look differently than us, that don't look like our families, that maybe aren't part of this orientation towards the chief cornerstone. Our call is still to honor them, even when they scream falsehoods at us, when they attribute things to what the scriptures say that are false. And it's important. And why it matters if we don't orient ourselves in relation to the chief cornerstone, Jesus, if we don't use scripture and the Holy Spirit, we risk following the history of the cornerstone. As I was learning about, because, you know, I haven't built a lot of ancient structures, so I had to learn a little bit about what a cornerstone is and its purpose, that you start to look at uh, this idea of having a cornerstone has continued on throughout history, that we still use the idea of a cornerstone, but its purpose has greatly changed. As we talked about it, it was the, the chief cornerstone was the first stone that was laid in a building has now become much more ornamental. And so I think, uh, did we get a, a picture of the, there, there's our cornerstone. I don't know if you know this, our building has a cornerstone, but it no longer sits at the foundation of which everything is oriented uh, off of. It is now more of a, it's a logo, it's a symbol, it's a uh, ornamental piece that usually indicates who the original builder of the building was, maybe what year. Sometimes you'll see that there in the corner. Actually, if you're curious, that corner is over there behind a shrub. Um, Sometimes you'll see them in the lobby of a building. That's nice and chiseled away, real fancy to say who built the building, what year, all that kind of stuff, who the architect was. It's become this more ornamental piece. If we're not orienting ourselves off of Christ, if we're not using the tools that he's given, we risk following that same path of the cornerstone. We risk turning the cornerstone into a logo. A logo that we wear on our hats, on our coats. We strategically show up on, maybe on Sunday, to show, I've got my logo on, but we go home, we go to work, and we rely on our hat, our coat, our Instagram posts, what we like, what we retweet, what we share, to determine this is my logo. When we go to work, it doesn't, doesn't impact the rest of our lives. Because we're afraid that if we go to work and we wear a logo, 
that we get judged falsely. That if we talk to our neighbors in truth and honor at the same time, that we'll be judged falsely. There's some of us that put the logo on our underwear. We wear it every day, but nobody sees it. Everywhere we go, we have that logo on us, but we orient ourselves to anything else in the world. We orient ourselves based on what? A donkey or an elephant or one of the media conglomerates that blasts uh, their, their mercenary propaganda. We orient ourselves to that. We orient ourselves to influencers and heretics on social media to determine what are we going to orient ourselves to because our logo's on our underwear. But if we make Christ our chief cornerstone, he's the logo on all of it. He's the logo on our underwear, on our hat, on our coat, shirt, socks. He's the logo on the pen that we write with. He's the logo on our phone, on our computer. He's the logo on our directional map on our phone. He shows up on our resume and in our 10-year plan. He shows up in our recent purchases and our retirement fund. He shows up everywhere. It's the most foundational thing that it should be as a Christ follower. It's the thing that we orient all of our life to. It's what's left when the building is torn down, when we're completely torn down. That's the only thing that's left. That stone that was first laid is Jesus, the cornerstone. So wear it. Wear it when you honor everyone. Wear it when you love the brotherhood, when you fear God, when you honor the emperor. And use the tools that he's given us to it to understand whether we are. And if you know me, I'm not very long-winded up here, and we're going to be transitioning into communion uh, pretty soon. And just want to offer that encouragement to use the tools that he's given us. To take our level, not moving our cone or stone, but using your brothers and sisters to determine on any given issue when it means to love anyone, to fear God, where am I oriented? It starts with knowing who those people are. It's knowing who in your MC can help you orient when you're struggling to know which way is up. Am I really in line with the cornerstone, or did I move the cornerstone? Because every issue is not always the easiest to understand, to live out. The truth is there, the cornerstone is there, but what, where do we fall? It's challenging. Use the tools that we're given. Use the scriptures to understand. It's the blueprint for the, for the plan, for the building. To know that we are a tabernacle it says that we're being built into the spiritual house, the place that the Holy Spirit dwells within. That's where the, the Holy Spirit dwelt, was in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. That call is now for us as the church to be that. So wear your logo. Wear it on everything. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. For those of you that call... Jesus, your Lord and Savior, your chief cornerstone. We practice a meal every Sunday as well. And I invite you to come and take this meal after we pray. 
And this meal started because Jesus, the chief cornerstone, was sitting around with his friends uh, the night before he was crucified to be that perfect sacrifice for us, to say that his body was, would be broken and he broke it for us, that his blood was going to be shed and he did it to fulfill the call that we can have that relationship directly with God through him, that he would be our intermediary. He would be the perfect priest that was needed, the last one that we would need to be able to have access to God. So as, uh, as the community makes its way forward, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us to close us out. But we do this, we take communion as a reminder of Christ being our chief priest and reminding us to continue to orient ourselves in light of his redemptive work. So after I pray, feel free to make your way down to the aisles, uh, grabbing the, the bread and then returning, and, and uh, grape juice and returning back to your seats through the outside. Father God, Lord, oh, we're so thankful for you. We're thankful that despite man deciding that we would determine what's best for us in Eden, and we would break that relationship, that proximity, that access to you, or that you are faithful. Lord, that you designed a way that we could have access to you, that you sent your son Jesus to be that perfect priest, to be the cornerstone of which you call us to acknowledge him as the cornerstone and orient ourselves to him. Not to try to move him because you've placed that stone, but to orient ourselves in light of his holiness, his perfection. And in that we are obedient to you. That we honor you. And so Lord, be with us as we unpack what that means to live as a royal priesthood, to honor everyone, to love everyone, to love the brotherhood, to fear you, to honor the emperor. Lord, just ask that you would put men and women, the brothers and sisters around to be those tools to help us orient. Lord, that we would be in your scriptures, that we would love your word. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill us to know if we're in line, if we're in plumb, if we're true, as you defined it. Father God, we're so thankful for the, the men and women in this room those that are, uh, they're my orientation, they're a way that I orient myself towards you, but those that make sure that I'm right and plumb and true. I thank you for them. Father, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray, amen.